0: Welcome to the International Bus Podcast, brought to you by Workby. I'm your co host, Tanja Faulkner. And this is the recording of a recent expert panel about technical communication. We had the pleasure of talking to experts Richard Korn, Irina Ribnikova, and Joni Palmer about trends in technical communication, the changing role of technical writers, how to write and prepare documentation for translation, and more. Without further ado, enjoy the discussion.
1: So welcome to the trends in technical communications uh, panel discussion. Um, I'm your host today, Robert Rogge. Usually. I'm here with my cohort, uh, Tanya Faulkner, but um, she's sick today, so I'm handling um, all the hosting duties. Hopefully we do just fine. So yeah, today we're going to talk about trends in technical communications. I think we're going to be talking a little bit about information 4.0 uh, and um, basically all, all the new stuff that's going on from technology to um, content. Uh, actually, it's going to be hard to to limit the topics as opposed to find the interesting topics. So welcome to the show, everybody. Now I'm going to let you like introduce yourself a little bit. So let, let's have the the full introductions, and, and I think you just start with maybe with Yoni on the on the top right there.
2: Thanks, Robert. So I have about an hour to introduce myself.
1: Uh, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that yeah, happens so, sometimes. Uh, so <laughs> thank you, Robert and,
2: and Tanya for uh, for inviting me on the panel, and happy to be on the panel with uh, with Richard and Irina. Uh So I've been in the industry for around 20 years. I uh, work and living and and working in Israel and for most of that time actually I've managed teams of different sizes and global teams for the last 5 years I've been a CEO of this tech writing services company so that gives me the benefit of a range of companies of technologies that we're working with from the very small startups with like 5 people and a dog to uh, to to global companies like Microsoft HP AT&T Uh, And the like so uh, hopefully I'll be able to bring my experience to uh, To the benefit of the people uh, on the webinar.
1: Awesome. Thanks. So let's move over to uh, To Richard I guess.
3: Thank you. Uh, Well, uh, thank you for inviting me to join this panel. Uh, I've been in the um, medical device industry and uh, labeling localization for over 20 years and um, I, I started off actually on the localization side um building and and managing localization teams and i've moved over into the um, breadth of of medical device labeling which includes literature uh labels um the whole translation process and i've worked uh i worked for many years for saint Jude medical which was acquired by abbott and then um for a few years for um, a company that makes hard valves, uh, Edwards Life Sciences. And most recently, I've been working for uh, Medtronic for the past year, running the um, technical communications team there. Uh, I um, also uh, co-hosted a panel at uh, Localization World for a number of years. And we focused on uh, the life sciences industry. So we brought um, individuals from different uh, parts of the industry together, along with subject matter experts and content management and other fields, so that we could uh, foster learning and, and um, encourage um, an open forum for dialogue on on best practices in um, in in labeling um, tech, technical communications, tech writing. Uh, so um, that's, um, I, that's, I, this type of forum really appeals to me for that reason because I see how valuable it is to bring uh, individuals together from different parts of our industry uh, to, to talk about best practices. So thank you again for including me.
1: Cool. You're welcome. Thanks for, thanks for coming on as a panelist. Sure. All right. And uh, Irina? Irina?
4: hello hello everyone Uh, so my name is Irina Rybnikova I work for positive technologies right now so it's IT security company we develop software we do pen testing so the whole scope of uh, documents that we have is under my like management Uh, I have a team of uh, about 30 people Uh, we create content we localize content we help our marketing team our like educational team support everywhere. And uh, before, I worked uh, in IT companies too, so it's more than 20 years. And um, I worked as freelance translator. I worked as technical writer too. So, <laughs> so I know all the steps, I think. And um, here in Moscow, in Russia, we have a really like strong community of technical writers, and uh, we communicate a lot. Uh, as far as localization teams, too. So I manage some activities like uh, ambassador, like local launches, like women in localization and other stuff. And the question is for me right now, the, the, like the main question, what are the types of content that will work with new generations, with someone who c- comes next? Uh, how can we help them to, like, work with our products? Uh, what will work? Uh, in near future, so that's what my question for this session too, maybe.
1: Awesome. Thank you. All right, so so let's jump into the questions, and it's it's pretty tempting to just uh, jump in with that question, but um, all right, so so let's let's just go with a generic question here about trends in in technical communications. Let's just go around the horn here, and and uh, let's let's hear like one or two current trends or future trends um, in in technical technical communication, and where where you think um, it's going, at least from your point of view. And then maybe you can work in types of content, because that I think is probably a good a good point too. And uh, go for well, it. I can get here.
3: started, I guess. Uh, Well, okay, so I'm representing uh, life sciences and and, uh, medical device industry and uh, very similar to many other industries, especially if um, you look at the European Union and the way regulations are going. Um, We have um, a lot of of focus on making updates to our literature, um, multiple updates to the same document, and uh, that basically has driven the whole field, all of the the techcom teams that that I've spoken to in the med device industry are looking at content management systems and automation and how they do their work so that whenever we have that same document, we maybe need to update um, the same phrase in a thousand documents. We can go to that that single source of truth. We have a consolidated database to use and, and then we pair that with some automated uh, translation uh, management system. And so this seems to be the trend. This is definitely the trend in the, in the companies that I've worked in over the years, and certainly is right now with um, some upcoming um, regulation um, in the EU. So I mean, I have other items I could discuss, but I, I think maybe I'll just let you guys <laughs> jump in.
1: Yeah, there's so many, right? Um, yeah. yeah. I'd like to ask just a quick follow-up like uh, is is terminology are are there any new trends in terminology in the medical industry like managing terminology or or is that kind of like hasn't changed for a while
3: Um, no it it has I mean um, so uh, so there there are two trends that I see along those lines one is to create a centralized lexicon and and how you um, adapt uh, taxonomy, a, a consistent taxonomy within a content management system. So there's sort of more of a linguistic side to it. And then there's more of a trend toward regulations and requirements and how do you centralize um, those in, in a, a platform so that you can quickly look at um, like a certain part of the world and figure out, okay, am I in compliance with that, that region, that geography? And so there seems to be a parallel path. So I see a lot of tools that are actually focusing on that and how you, not just how we're centralizing our content for use in the documentation that we produce, but also how you um, tap into the regulations in a systematic way. Um, it may be through some outside source or you build your own library of content. Um, there's definitely a trend toward um, the industry coming together through um, different groups. Uh, there's a group in Europe called MedTech Europe that we participate in with many other companies that are um, that have similar type of products. Um, same thing in the US and, and we see that um, happening in other parts of the world as well. But um, so two streams, one has to do with our own content and the other has to do with um, content that could be used or um, leveraged uh, for um, determining what requirements we're following.
1: Cool. All right. So there we've got some, some fodder for conversation. Um, and uh, so Yoni, what, uh, what are the trends that, that you see um, over there in, in Israel?
2: Well, I'll, I'll pick up a little bit on what Richard said before coming to my main point. But yeah, we're seeing companies also moving into um, single sourcing tools rather than necessarily pure you know, content management tools. Um, And that that actually doesn't matter whether it's a large company or a small company, but uh, in order to meet the volume of of documentation and to uh, meet the the different customizations and perhaps different flavors of documentation, so companies are moving into into that more and more. And again, that does help, uh, obviously, in, in localization. So we actually uh we we're involved in tools and we're uh resellers for a couple of tools which i don't know if i can mention uh, live so i won't but uh, what, one of the things we do when we're when we're marketing them is to talk about uh the ease of uh, localization both working with localization suppliers and uh the ease of bringing back the uh, the, the content into uh in, into those tools that the uh the, the company has I, I think the you know the point that i want to make about the trends that uh, we see over here, but I, I, from being in touch with colleagues around the world as well and, and being part of the, the, the TCOM network as well, we see is that the role of the technical writer today is changing that they have to be a bit of a hybrid. So they have to be a very technical person on the one hand, as well as a very good writer. And Whereas perhaps in the past, maybe 10, 15, 20 years ago, uh, the writing skills was perhaps the greater part of what a technical writer was required to have. today the emphasis is becoming much more on their technical abilities in the startup world we see that where the technical writers are kind of becoming embedded as part of r d so there's uh, especially with with smaller startups let's say 50 to 100 people that there's one writer there so the technical writer will be embedded as part of the r d efforts and they'll be treated as, uh, as an r d employee and they'll have to understand code, and they'll have to contribute to uh, to the whole process of, of product development. Uh, at the same time where technical writers are being asked to document APIs, which is also the, the, the area that we see growing in, in software, that they have to be able to understand the APIs, they have to be able to, to translate that into, into end user documentation, and therefore the, the requirements, again, to have somebody who uh, has some kind of a a strong technical background. Now, that could be Either somebody with a degree somebody who's worked as a programmer or an engineer uh, but that's definitely the change that uh, I think you know I've seen in the, in the last 20 years that that has changed in, in probably the last five years and, and is a growing trend uh, that we're experiencing mm-hmm. over here
1: yeah everyone has to know markdown now
2: I think is that right that's mm-hmm. yeah. that's another uh, another aspect as well and uh, I, I, you know to a degree when we're working with the, with the SMEs and, and, uh, and when they're, they're looking to hire somebody in, so they do have this long list of technical requirements, which, I mean, to a degree, I believe that a good technical writer worth their, their weight in gold should be able to transition from one technology to another. But nevertheless, uh, because some of the, the back-end technologies that is, are complex, um, there, there are requirements, but as you said, for markdown and then also for for uh, some of the uh, the behind the scenes technical knowledge for people to understand and to have as well.
1: Mm-hmm. Right on. So let's go on to Arena, and uh, and then we'll we'll circle back yeah, around I, and, and hit all these these topics because uh, I I have some some questions too.
4: I totally agree with Yoni and Richard that that uh, continuous localization, single source terminology management, and I think writing for translation is what we need to have in all the companies doesn't matter if it's a startup or a big global company uh, and now uh, technical writers or all the people who work with content uh, change their like roles and they started like more developers than just writers they uh, doing more analytics than just writing because they have a lot of like information from your users From the users you can see statistics you can talk with them by by the way we have chat with our users like in messenger so we can just ask them what what do you want and uh, get a quicker reply so uh, you need to be like to think global I mean uh, you don't need to think about the simple simple article but you need to see to understand how your content will be within the content strategy Uh, what is the role of the content Uh, who is your audience, how you technically include it into the product or in other documents. So it's like a developer, more more and more developing in all the stages. We have architect roles within the company. They're really technical guys, and they help us and our writers to be more unique and more more deeply implemented in the whole workflow. So that's my thoughts. (laughs) Right on. Uh, I asked uh, people on Lock World, uh, what do you think about it? I mean, uh, do we really need it? I mean, single source, continuous localization, other stuff. Everybody raised their hands. But uh, when I asked them, do you really have it? Almost nobody uh, did the same. So we have a lot of like uh, scopes to do <laughs> in all the companies, I think.
1: Huh. Well, that's a good. That's actually a pretty nice place to pick up too. So what what are the barriers for companies that are trying to implement single source tools? Like uh, if everyone knows oh, that I mean, they should do it, what are they struggling with?
3: So I think that if if a company uh, wants to be effective in implementing single source, there needs to be a, a global strategy and and a, and a strategy that incorporates more than just one group. Um, what I found in, in my experience in, in recent years is that, oh, a lot of organizations um, talk about having master data management, um, and and some are are actively pursuing that. Um, and then there are parallel tracks um, where um, a group like a tech com or tech pub scene is is creating its own um, form of single source. Um, there, so to be effective, you really need to integrate it into a larger strategy and. What I've seen, in at least in the med device world and, and life sciences in general, is there's a focus on uh, bringing in a, a CIO uh, who can manage this type of thing um, and then integrating the, um, all of the different elements of the development lifecycle into that, into that centralized um, uh, single source of truth. Um, what we've done and what I've done in my previous organization and now starting uh, where at Medtronic is uh, developing uh, data models, um, really um, paring down and dicing what, what type of content we use on a regular basis and then incorporating that into a content model, a model in our um, component content management system. So what I've found uh, over the, the years is that uh, the localization industry tends to be much more advanced along these lines. Um, just with translation memory and, and all the different types of software over the years, it's been um, much more developed. And so what you find is there'll be content being submitted for translation from um, – and it could – it ranges from um, maybe some kind of structured uh, tool uh, to Microsoft Word but then once it goes to the localization supplier it goes through a pretty sophisticated set of um, transitions and and eventually comes back to the to to the organization uh, that 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 side of it on the com- component content management side and the and the organizations that are providing um, the source content that is becoming much more sophisticated and, and starting to reach the same level of, of um, like parity. And I, I feel like that's where where the trend is going right now. And uh, component content management, uh, however it looks, whatever type of software you use, it, it's really what is, is driving um, the innovation on the tech literature side yeah i'm interested in hearing what the other panelists have to say about that as well i know this is my experience in the medical device industry i'd, I'd like to
2: pick up on uh, on what richard was saying that this is actually something we, we experience not just in the medical device world but in in uh, I, i'd say across the board to be honest that uh, you know this this need for single sourcing but in in answer to um to robert to your question what are the barriers i think there are three or four barriers essentially Um, that are holding people back from moving into it. I think the first big thing is education. Uh, And a sense, what Richard has described and and Irina as well, is that they're they're aware of that and we're aware of that. There are many technical writing teams out there who aren't aware of what single sourcing can bring for them uh, in terms of the financial benefits, the efficiency benefits, the quality benefits, and again, the smoother operation with uh, localization vendors as well. So I, I think that there needs to be a lot more education uh, of what single sourcing tools can bring, definitely a, a big barrier is the migration of legacy content. The the uh, that's normally the largest part of the of the project in terms of finance, uh, because if if a company has a, obviously a lot of legacy content, how you move that in uh, is going to be a, a big issue. And often the, the issues are not with the tool that you're moving into, but there are issues with the um, with the uh, with the legacy tool as well, especially if we're talking about something like Word that has a lot of uh, um, a lot of stuff behind the scenes in, in, in the XML that um, has garbage that um, that would need to be dealt with before coming into the tools. Uh, so the migration and, and then obviously kind of like the financial issue as well. I think those are those are some of the barriers, and and also um, a lot of companies that. Are growing and they have different teams that they bought you know companies and things like that where different teams might be using different tools and then becomes the question of you know who who do we unify um, you know and what kind of tool do we do we use to unify so that that's a question that sometimes companies I think are reluctant to get into because there could be turf wars and, and that kind of thing and then more interestingly, a, a trend that we're seeing now with, I'd say, the large to medium-sized companies um, in Israel and, and multinationals that have uh, um, centers in Israel is the move to a kind of, I'd call it um, an, an envelope uh, or, or an umbrella type of platform that is able to draw uh, all the content from different content sources, whatever tool somebody's using, and to present it in one Uh, in one unified form on the company website and using powerful algorithms and search engines to pull that kind of, whether it's PDF, whether it's coming from something like Madcap Flare, whether it's HTML, PDF, uh, video sometimes, different ways that the content can be pulled in to these uh, powerful engines, but the, the, the presentation layer is unified and as far as the end user is concerned, uh, it's a totally transparent process, and they're not aware of the different uh, content tools that are being used to create that content. So the the move to more uh, single sourcing is definitely going to grow, and uh, I, I think will evolve. Like as I said, in, with these kind of presentation layer kind of solutions as well, that will aim to to bridge the uh, uh, or, or rather combine uh, different tools that are being used within a single organization.
1: Oh, that's interesting. So, like, the, are, are are these uh, unifying systems? Um, are those kind of like band-aids on the real problem, or is that like a long-term solution?
2: They're definitely long-term solutions. I, I uh, you know, I'm trying to think of a different uh, metaphor. I may, a band-aid is certainly not the um, not not the thing I would say. I, I, you know, perhaps a way to describe it is if you have a house that has. Uh, different types of, of materials that have gone into creating the walls. For example, so you might have some brick, you might have some timber, you might have some foam insulation, uh, and then you'll you'll cover it with some render on the outside. And and to the uh, the untrained eye, uh, that you know it looks like there's only one material that's been used to to build that wall so I think that's the that's kind of a better metaphor if that's understandable uh, rather than than a band-aid and it's definitely a long-term solution this is a these are big investments and and um, you know that's why it's the the medium-sized to large companies that are are going in that direction but they realize that it's actually a money saver because sometimes the, the the cost of the project on an annual basis could be the cost of like one person's salary um annually and the efficiency savings by doing something like that um are you know tremendous so uh, it's definitely a long-term solution and, I, and it's a trend that um you know we're seeing is just going is growing and uh, will, will only grow i think in the next few years
4: uh, i can add something about it because oh, i had a, an experience to bring uh new content management system to the new company uh, so there was no any CMS CMS before but uh, we calculated everything I think and we covered all the costs uh, during the first year so now we have only profit from this tool and what is really interesting is that before I worked with a company uh, that had a lot of legacy and a lot of different departments as y- you told and a lot of different tools and it's really hard to move it to the real solution uh, and it moves really f- slow but it works finally so uh, we can we can do it too but if you if you start from the stretch of course it's like happy happy time for you you can like do it and uh, get the result as soon as possible uh, for example in, in our case we had uh, three departments within our CMS tool right now and we are moving forward to include more departments uh, but usually they need some assistance uh, with the tool, because tool is like, it doesn't matter if it's wor- word-based, uh, so it, it looks like word, but um, you need to understand how the content uh, structure within the this tool, so it's really hard to do from, if you are not a technical writing person, so it's really hard for you to, to be like involved uh, really good. and. Um, that's why we help that such people, such departments to do it. And uh, the goal for me for the next year is to do this: the portal, the website that you mentioned, uh, which includes all the types of materials <laughs> within the company. So it's really like ex- exciting goal for me, for example. It, it's something that is really interesting. Yeah.
3: Cool.
1: And uh, Richard, you you've been at Medtronic for um, for how long? And I, you, men, I th- you mentioned that you're just getting started there, right? I've
3: been there. I've been at Medtronic for um, uh, a little over a year, and right. uh, and and so I, I've actually had a few different experiences with uh, implementing um, component content management systems. So at, at, when I was at St. Jude, which is now Abbott. Um, we brought on board a tool, um, that, uh, it was, we went through an extensive analysis and, and brought an off the shelf tool, uh, into the, uh, the tech comm team, um, and set it up from scratch, uh, and integrated it with our, our, um, localization process. And so that took, um, that whole process took a few years. We weren't really focusing on, um, single source of truth per se. It was more on optimization and, and, um, and also with the tech writers, there's there's just a practical side of we had we were using FrameMaker and we had multiple files um, that were being checked out at the same time, and um, the um, it, it was becoming unwieldy to um, to manage who had the files out and which version of that particular document was the latest one. You've got maybe ten different um, product launches that we're working on concurrently, and so it it, it was more of a practical. Piece. Um, when I moved to my last company, um, Edwards Life Sciences, uh, they ha- already had a pretty uh, innovative way of using a component content management tool. It was mostly focused on labels, and it went right through the production um, and uh, distribution line. So we were at the top part of that cycle. Um, and in uh, integrating the the literature side of it was the big goal and, and was sort of the anomaly which is it's sort of the opposite in other organizations Medtronic is a third a model which is um, a homegrown solution so we have both we have an off-the-shelf one and then one that was developed by Medtronic many years ago it was actually it's actually old enough to be at uh, the same um, like uh, vintage as uh, did so it's it's kind of uh, was uh, grew up at the same time as DIDA but uh, it doesn't use that methodology, but has some similarities. So um, I, I feel like I'm running the gamut here with the different types of, of um, implementations that, that I could see, in, in, um, and there are pros and cons and cha- different challenges with each. But I think with a large organization that's invested in this type of technology, like Medtronic has, it, it it's easier to make a case to centralize with one tool. And even those tool, uh, oh, even those parts of the business that have been acquired over time, uh, there's a there, there's definitely some infrastructure built up to integrate the, their content into this centralized tool. Um, but um, yeah, I I feel like there are a lot of different ways to, to do this, and it's not like um, we're we're all learning uh, as we go go through this process and. There's there's a lot of pain that you feel when you um, you try something that really doesn't work, and so you kind of learn to not not to do that again. One of the things that I um, that's a core tenet that I follow with any uh, um, implementation is um, not to modify the content during the course of the conversion or migration process. So if you've got content, legacy content that you're moving over, freeze it. Go through that whole process of moving it into XML for the first time or from one XML to another XML format, but don't don't add projects as you uh, – during the course of that transition because it can be um, very time-consuming and compromise the integrity of your content. So that's just something that I've taken away from all of these different um, implementations that I've worked on. I think that some of the best CMS applications that I've seen are – the ones that are built, uh, to accommodate the particular business that they're supporting. And at St. Jude, there was one that was very innovative that dealt with, uh, labels and, and the distribution of, uh, of products using unique labels with destination labeling in mind. And this is especially critical in the, in the EU and in the EMEA region and markets that require the same product to go to multiple locations with limited real estate for localized content. So uh, there are some very creative solutions that companies are working on and that are not on the market. It's just um, systems that have come out of necessity. And uh, I see I see hubs of innovation um, in certain parts of the world. There's the, definitely in the region of Belgium, the Netherlands, it seems to be very innovative when it comes to that type of, um, of those systems. Um, and there's the Bay Area and the U.S. and, and the different areas if you look at the med device industry as well. But uh, certainly that's another avenue um, that may be overlooked by a lot of, of, um, of groups that are looking at content management because it's not so visible. It's not like these companies are doing this and trying to sell their product or service. It's, again, built like a homegrown solution built for that business. So um, I've I've ha- I've seen
2: some very successful solutions along those lines as well.
1: Would anyone like to chime in?
2: Yeah, I just want to you know maybe, maybe also um, take it back to my my point about the, the changing role of a, of a technical writer because the, again the kind of things that Richard is describing. So you know when many of us maybe started, we were working in Microsoft Word and you know it's very easy, well, relatively easy to use, despite. Um, you, you know the foibles that the Microsoft Word has, but when one is working with these uh, these tools, you have to be on a slightly higher technical level um, because they're not complicated. It's not rocket science, but it's not like working with Microsoft Word and and with ones working with like the labels as which it describes or conditions or variables and things like things like that. One has to be work very methodically and, uh, and and be able to uh, maximize what these tools are are, are giving. And it requires a different skill set. It's, it's, as I said, it's not just being able to use, you know, being a power user of Microsoft Word or Microsoft Office. Uh, it's, it's a lot more than that. And, um, you know, maybe sometimes some technical writers are are thrown off by that. They're they're put off because uh, it's a, it's above their their skill set. So, you know, I would say just try and uh, get it and and do more and learn about it because these things are not beyond. Uh, they're not rocket science. It's just um, working one's head around the way that these tools work and, and how to how to create the content using them, um, and they're actually great fun and, and, and great to uh, great to work with.
1: So I think a common theme here um, for for all three of you is just like change and uh, trying to um, change something the way it's done, whether it's one one way of doing it or the other, but trying to implement a lot of change. I'd like to add some like ideas because Mm -hmm. uh, the good content is not
4: only what writers do. Uh, The good content comes uh, as a teamwork. Uh, Like uh, you can work with your colleagues, so you can work with a linguistic editor, but we communicate a lot with developers, with functional testers, with marketing teams. So if you are working together, it's easier to get like, really good results so in this case it's really important to work in the same uh, platform in the same workflow Uh, and some tools allows you to implement uh, functional testers and developers into the proofreading part within the content management system and it's really like easy to do for example in our case they can add any commands to any content that we have they can look through the whole content they can add uh, commands and uh, it pri- priority uh, or type of errors just in a web browser so you don't need to like have extra application you don't need to do something really hard but you are involved and as soon as they see all the commands from other people from technical writers as soon as they see that we implement everything uh, they're ready to help so that's really important too because it's not like a s- single person work it's all we do is together. So.
1: And so, what are Thank some you. strategies to get um, people to buy into what you're working on? So, like, um, you know, like for example, technical writers, but also other collaborators. Um, when you're asking them to change the way they work or the the tools that they use, um, like, what are some strategies to make that successful to to bring them along?
4: Be evangelist. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Just that, and uh, like I, I suppose the, there must be a lot of like organized trainings and stuff. <laughs> of or, course, of you know, course. Yeah, uh, I, you
4: need to like. I think uh, first first question is to have your support team within top management. If you sell the, the idea to them, it's easier to sell the idea to the team. Of course you need to train them all the time you need to like uh, do not only technical training how to work with the tool you need to provide examples best practices you need to like sometimes you need to go with them to the conferences and show that everyone is using it it's not mm-hmm. it's like n- not something new you just within the sphere you need to use it uh, so you you can help them to do some internal projects to research some new like functionality in this type of uh, pro- products programs and they will be your like a- angels uh, within the rest of the team so yeah it's it's a really complex work but the community usually helps and yours your personal like strengths <laughs> emotions mm-hmm. helps too yeah. sorry guys <laughs> no don't be sorry it's
3: all good I think training by um by by working on live projects helps quite a bit um, and and learning learning new software um, th- showing how tools can can help the writer optimize their work um, it could be um, the tool itself it could be some uh, plugins uh, something that helps with proofreading or or redlining files uh, or um, content strategy, just the concept of content strategy and introducing that into the team um, helps quite a bit. They understand that um, it's nonlinear. Um, that concept can be very, um, it, its it's not clear initially to many individuals what that means and what that entails. You might, intellectually, they may understand it, but then in practice, when they work on files, then they start realizing that they can't put page numbers in, in, um, a certain section because that dot, that particular chunk of content may not be used in the same place in every document. So this, just retraining, uh, the team on how to, how, how to write their content, um, and, and that there is really a subject matter expertise uh in content strategy, information architecture, and introducing them to these new um new roles. Um, and and it could all well be within the same um title that they have of of a technical writer or technical communicator, but they're expanding their skill set. And what I like to do, even if like I'm in an organization like I am right now where we're using um a homegrown solution, I, I like to make sure that the team understands what what the trends are. For the technology and, and understand, uh, constructs that we may or may not be using in full. Like, um, one example is, is data and what this, what the benefits are, what the drawbacks are of using something that's more structured along those lines and introducing them, uh, to training and events, uh, as much as possible, uh, going to, um, like we have STC, And also there are other organizations that focus on component content management in the U.S. There's the CIDM and LavaCon. These are uh, events that are organized that are um, really great for writers and um, other individuals who are in this new sphere. Um, I've worked... Uh, you mentioned earlier on the call, uh, Anne Rockley. She's somebody that I've worked with on and off, and she, um, in her book, really helps quite a bit. And, and Joanne Hackett in introducing our writers to those um, trailblazers, I guess you could say, in the industry so that they, you know, they're kind of redefining what means to be a technical writer. Um, but I think more more than anything else, I think going along with Arena and, and know, um, Yoni, what you guys are talking about is um, that it's a jack of all trades really is what you're describing. And I find that, um, you know, writers are being asked to um, be very technical, um, absorb the technology, understand how to, you know, use the tools to their benefit and uh, come up with creative ways of of, uh, communicating to, uh, to the stakeholders that that the writers work with what what those changes are and and uh, and how how the uh, CCMS and other tech uh, other related tools can help uh, consolidate content and and quickly generate it with with the same level of quality or better quality than they had before. Um, there's always a push in the world that I'm working in. Uh, high quality is number one because of the nature of the um, products that we produce, but um, and something that's, that's life saving or, um, that could basically, um, uh, you know, be a benefit to somebody. Um, but there's also this, the same push for getting things out the door quickly. Like, how can you launch your product quickly? And so it's sort of at odds with the, the, two are at odds with each other. But using these tools effectively, it can help to, um, improve the, the quality, improve the lifestyle of the writer and and have a better a better outcome better output so i see i see all of this as just helping to make this a better um just a, a better flow um and we're probably right at the cusp of that that becoming more efficient um like uh, i think many um many of us who are here in this meeting have have worked with in localization and and that has much more maturity now, and, and translation memory and how that's used. So I see this being the same, the same trend with um, with the source side. It's just we're just
2: not quite there yet.
1: And uh, w- would you agree with that, with that, Yoni, or do you have anything to
2: to add? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I think that um, it's definitely in terms of the the, the buy-in. Uh, you, you know, one needs to get. It's a question of education. Um, it, bottom line is we're, we're dealing with people here both in terms of the the management that we need to get the buy-in to, to go ahead with the product and the same thing in terms of the people who need to use the products as well and therefore it's a question of education. Um, in terms of writers sometimes they might be afraid of, as I said earlier, that this is a tool that's going to be above them, that's going to be too complex for them to, to work with. So you know, as both um, Richard and Irene have said, it's about training, educating them as to um, you know to what these tools are. The, the other thing is, um, pick up from what Richard was saying, is that <clears throat> I think it's important when getting management buy-in or um, you know, buy-in from other teams within the company, to explain to them what the benefits are going to be to them and the company. Um, oftentimes, the technical writers will look at it and say, you know, how's it gonna be better for me? How's it going to help my, my writing process, my, creation, my content creation process? And really what we should be thinking about, we should always be thinking about, is what's best for the users and therefore what's best for the users is what's best for the company. Therefore, like as, as Richard said, if we can produce content quicker, a uh, better quality, more efficiently, then that's better for the end user, it's better for the company, and there are savings there as well. The same time as, as uh, Irina was pointing out, it, it's important also that the technical guys can, can review. We need to make the review process a lot easier. Uh, you know, those days when we're just sending a PDF and they, they put comments in the PDF, it's nice, but we need a much more uh, interactive and integrated role from these technical guys to be able to, uh, uh, you know, maybe to add content or review content. So, um, you know, I think the, the bottom line for me is when working on the, these kind of solutions and helping companies implement them, that it's really a question of finding, you know, what's in it for me, for the the, the for the different uh, stakeholders in, in the project and finding what that, what is it for me issue is and then concentrating that on on selling, sorry, concentrating on that and then selling to them and educating them um, in that particular area.
1: Yeah, and and you know, just as a, as kind of a side note um, to the to the education topic, I, I was a technical writer myself uh, for for a few years in my twenties, and uh, that was well, that would have been in like two thousand five, um, two thousand six, um, two thousand seven, thereabouts. And uh, like there wasn't really an online community back then, at least not that I knew of. Um, But since then, there's so many things have sprung up um, in the technical communications community like podcasts, blogs, like people are are really um, writing and talking and and sharing. And and I, I bet that... That must really, really help to uh, evolve the industry and, and also the people on, on your teams.
2: That, that's huge. I mean, Israel, you know, we're a small com- country. We uh, have like eight and a half million population. So the the industry is actually quite... Small and, and people know each other. Uh, the geographical distances are, are not great here, mm-hmm. so there are lots of different groups and communities uh, here in Israel. Uh, th- there's in the different cities, whether it's uh, Tel Aviv, the, you know, which is one of the main high-tech h- hubs, or, or other places. And there's right the docks, there's um, TCOM, there's some homegrown. Uh, organizations as well, that run community forums, whether it's online or regular meetings and things like that. And that's a very big help. So we have, I think because of that, an extremely vibrant community here that is, um, you know, something surprises people from outside the country who come and see what we're doing in technical writing here in Israel. They're actually very surprised at how advanced and how um, tuned in we are to, to where things are moving. Right on. That, that's awesome.
1: So um, let's transition a little bit. Um, we mentioned earlier uh, writing for translation. Um, so so trying to um, you know produce content that's going to be easier to localize, um, and I, I suppose content that's like machine readable is going to be easier to machine translate. So we we only have uh, so much time left. So why don't we pivot to that topic? What is the process looking like today? for um, trying to prepare content for localization um, and incorporate machine translation into your workflows.
4: Oh, we have style guides that we like did for a few years before and we use it like within the within the team we have editors that uh, control that we use style guides and we work a lot on, on the terminology. We need uh, all the terms has the only one meaning and it's hard for example in our like sphere, treats calls differently. Uh, they have a lot of slang na- names. And we are producing not only internal terminology, but we are providing terminology for the for the sphere we work in. So we upload some terminology basis on GitLab, uh, like on open source basis. So uh, that's how we like trying to do it more useful for the whole for IT and security sphere. But it's it's hard work work all the time. We checked, uh, uh, like a month ago, we checked how it works in different uh, direction. I mean, we tested some MT engines. And we compared the results with the human translation uh, estimation and machine translation estimations uh, marks. uh, And we got really high, high results. It means that we are doing our job really good. As a source text as a source language as a like yeah 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 so we of course we expected some like good good marks in this case but we didn't realize that we did it really good before so it helps in any directions in any direction right after so the hardest part was to approve my team that it was to do the same like uh, Sentences the same starts the beginning of the sentences uh, like the same structure of the all the articles uh, within technical documentation of course not marketing materials but uh, when we can use it so that was the hardest part I guess to implement
3: one of the challenges that we face is uh, the types of products we have are are used directly by patients the literature that we produce is used by patients it's um, unique in, even within the medical device world because um, in most cases, the documentation we're talking about or the systems are used by clinicians. So we we have to um, not only think of uh, localization, but we think of what is the level of, uh, of language that we're using. And uh-huh. uh, if you look at the US system, it would be considered the sixth grade level, um, which is basically Allowing for simplified English and and comprehension comprehension by by individuals from a wide range of educational levels. So there's that element of our of, of our work. But beyond that, we're also looking at uh, how the systems are used, and uh, we have a GUI or an user interface that um, may or may not be localized. So um, depending on that factor, we have to uh, customize the uh, the content to ensure that um, we're describing it in a way that someone who's using uh, an interface in English, for instance, or maybe a, another language that that isn't a, the main language for that country, that we we are creating content that can be localized um, in that re- respect as well. We we are making use of um, education for across the organization and. We're pretty lucky to have a team that just focuses on um, ensuring that writers and other individuals involved with constructing content, either in the software or in the literature, that they understand what what the value is and and what some of the tricks are for writing effectively for translation um, or for a global audience there's a whole uh, training series that the organization offers, and there are individuals who uh, meet with the different um, Mm -hmm. groups that that work on the systems. And so they highlight, they'll take examples from the actual software and or other systems platforms and and say, okay, in this case, um, uh, where could we make this more localization friendly? So there are all different levels that we're working on. I mean, there's, there, I've talked quite a bit about the tools and what we do, um, from that perspective, but there's also the educational side and, and, um, kind of familiarizing, uh, individuals with, um, with these concepts that sort of once they understand that, they start looking for those things. Um, and, and some of the standard elements too, like expansion, um, for certain languages and, um, creating enough, um, space in um, systems to accommodate that, and then the shrink, shrinkage in other languages. So it's, it's, it's all the standard stuff that you see, but um, it, it's not apparent to a lot of the individuals in this process, so it, it doesn't matter how long. I've been in in this field, or that I've been working on this. It, I, you, there are new you run across new core teams, new new um, engineers who who really have never faced this before, and it's brand new to them, and it's kind of enlightening. So I think all of these different techniques help to to build a better end product.
2: So I think the common theme that the, there is is education, which I was going to uh, to mention as well. I think it has to start with the education because. Uh, It is about knowing how to write um, the audiences that we're writing for. I think certainly if one knows in your particular industry that there is a standard terminology, so maybe, you know, as Richard I think was hinting that for the medical industry, there might be uh, some kind of standardization. Uh, There's obviously STE, which, um, you know, started in the aviation industry. I actually, uh, in in one of my teams, we we had a program to look at uh, simplified English and how we could incorporate it. Uh, we, we didn't implement it in the end, but it was a very interesting exercise to uh, at least make people aware of the issues that we had. I mean, I had a team of uh, native English writers, but some were, were British like myself, some were American, um, South African, and they're bringing different, uh, different terminology to the table. So that was, uh, it was a good exercise to help people understand that they need to standardize the way they write. Yeah, I think you know education is a big, uh, a big issue, a big part of things. And th- for people to understand that it, that uh, you know we're in a global environment today, we need to uh, to produce documentation content for uh, a global audience. And this is a way to uh, to make it easier, and uh, you make know, make the translation process, uh, the localization process easier as well.
1: Right. All right. One last question that kind of ties into education. Um, It kind of ties into evangelization. Um, I think it ties into managing your teams, probably too. Um, Like, what what are the trends in terms of like analytics and metrics and data collection? Um, And just uh, like, what are you trying to do to use those things to achieve those objectives today? And and what's the trend with that?
2: There. I mean, we're seeing definitely more. More requests for analytics as part of content. Um, at the moment, uh, what people are using, let's say, you know, obviously for web, web-based content, they're actually using Google Analytics. That's the uh, seems to be the major player. But to my mind, it's still in in the embryonic stages of, of what people want to do, what they want to get out of it. And I think mm-hmm. there's, you know, it's just the beginning of the journey, and there's a lot more to do. I'm sure there will be more. Tools that will uh, that will come out that will aid the analytics uh, process, but generally, where people are trying to get to is to find out which content people are using the most and whether mm-hmm. that content is helpful or not, uh, so that obviously they can put their resources where where they're needed. But as I said, I, you know, very much from what we experience here, it's still in the uh, the, the the very beginning stages of um, you know of, of full analytics.
1: Right.
4: Numbers from, Google <laughs> numbers from Google Analytics is not enough for me because we can just like suppose what they mean. Of course, we can understand that uh, people visit such pages and some of them are not like visible never. But what really users wants to see, we don't know. Uh, in this case, I think we we are doing more user experience uh, testing. In, within software and we are joining our, our questions to our designers questions our developers questions so we are trying to find a new scenarios that will help our people our users and We're trying to implement such scenarios within the interfaces not only documentation documentation is like uh, I have uh, in one product I have uh, nine documents, uh, one of them is 1,600 pages. Nobody read it, never. So they just need to get the exact information, to get exact answer at the same place there right now. So we are thinking about scenarios. We are thinking to, about it with analytics, UX designers, everyone, and we are trying to like uh, give answers to the people within the interface from the content we have. We have a lot of reuse content in this case, but uh, we need to like, do sushi delivery for our users and do exact answer to their questions. So that's, that's a hard point, and uh, I think it's something that we can do next few years.
1: Nice, <laughs> nice.
4: Numbers is not enough, yeah.
3: So um, my experience, I mean, then tying into something that Arena just mentioned that has kind of triggered, we are um, heavily tied into human factors studies um we we test the the product as a whole and the literature as part of it the system is part of it so that's um, a key component and there there are defined ways to measure um, how effective um, the usefulness is of the the whole package as part of that process as far as what we do within um, our, our technical literature and how we focus on what we're term- what we're measuring is um, we, we measure uh, rework and in, in our daily work, our production cycles. And we're, we're tied into the Six Sigma lean methodology quite a bit. Um, so this pr- principle of DMAIC, which um, you may be familiar with, um, it, it basically uh, allows us to go through in a systematic way to define and measure what what um, What's working, what isn't working, and then focus uh, our attention on those items. Um, it's also a great way of um, uh, involving the larger team, because uh, the individuals uh, who are running these projects are also, in many cases, technical writers or um, other par- other members of our of our tech com team, and and they they can uh, track uh, the, the different types of inefficiencies that they're trying to address and then over time see um, how effective they are Um, so as an example we were looking at how we release our content and our product lifecycle management system and we had a cycle time of 35 days um, back in 2018 at the beginning of the year Um, and then at the end of last year we were able to get down to 13 days and there were various ways that we were we achieved this goal it wasn't just one one way, but um, we looked at um, how effective the flow was as a whole. Um, we, we, our goal was to reduce the amount of time it took to to get these files released into production, and and so um, the, the the metrics just fell in line with with those goals. So um, I, I I've been in organizations mm-hmm. that really focus quite a bit of attention on um, on metrics, but I think the main thing is to figure out what you're trying to achieve, and not um, not necessarily just measuring um, for the sake mm-hmm. of tracking. It doesn't work. I, I don't feel like it's effective. It doesn't it doesn't add value. Yeah, we
1: we use. Uh, I'm in marketing now, and uh, we use a lot of analytics. Um, but it's true. Sometimes um, it would be better to just stay pure to your mission. I think um because adding using metrics and analytics adds a lot of work i don't know how else to say it it's a it's a whole process all by itself
3: i don't i don't know if you've uh, if, if anyone on the panel or in and the um uh, joining this call has read the latest uh issue of the harvard business review i think it came out last month but it, there's a whole section about um analytics and and metrics and the value of what you measure and Um, I believe is in the last month or last month, two months, but it's, it's interesting. Just, um, there's a whole uh, analysis of whether it's good to analyze (laughs) Um, and, Mm -hmm. and, so we're um, starting to question that um, different industries are.
1: Yeah. Oh, that's interesting. So we're, we're going to find that and we'll definitely share it. uh, Maybe we can share it with, uh, with the podcast um, recording or the panel recording. Um, but that's that's super interesting Um, I think I think a lot of companies are drowning in numbers right now yeah so all right well we should probably wrap up I feel like we could like this was a really good one and I feel like we brought up all these amazing topics and I would love to sit here for hours but I suppose that everyone has to go back to to work and uh, implementing these new systems and getting everyone to buy in on it so but uh, it was it was a lovely panel and uh, does anyone have any parting, parting thoughts?
2: Well, thank you, Robert, for, uh, for, <laughs> for moderating. And, and it was a pleasure to, uh, to meet Irina and, uh, and Richard and to, to, to be on the panel with them. And, uh, you know, I hope um, I've given over some good information and I've certainly picked up uh, good information from everybody on the panel as well.
3: Yeah, likewise. It was a pleasure working with all of you and on this panel and meeting you. And, um, yeah, it'd be great to have maybe a follow-up at some point. See how we're all doing.
4: The connection is not good for me right now, so I I can hear almost nothing. But I hope you hear me. And thank you, like joining me this discussion. I really believe that we'll continue with it because it's not enough time. One hour is not enough. And thank you. No. We need to do it again. The
2: sequel.
1: All right. So let's do the sequel. then next time. Um, and in the meantime, I guess my takeaway is it's all about people. And uh, I, w- I was surprised that it that the conversation took that direction. So thank you, everybody.
3: Thank you. All right. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, Have you a know, nice yeah. evening and day. And okay.
0: yep. bye. Goodbye. Good oh. That was another episode of the International Bus Podcast. If you want to attend panels live next time, feel free to go to our website, whereby.com, to register for future events.